<laughs> I'm using the internet. Yeah. I love that picture. <laughs> it's one of my favorite pictures. I don't know Right that next to the one of the business guy just going, ha, business. I also don't know that picture. You don't, I thought that you had posted that picture on my wall one time on Facebook. I don't remember like that. Many years ago. Yeah, or maybe back when I used else. the internet. Back when you actually used the internet. Ooh. Those days were quaint. That reminds they? me. Yeah. I think the number one tip for this episode is just don't use the internet. Nice. Bam. Podcast already, over. We already gave a good tip. That was easy. Three seconds that in. Was so easy. Right. And nobody can say we yeah. took a long time. Yeah. To yeah get I was to reading actual, like a book this morning. Boom. Right. Yeah. Like a physical one. Here's the thing. No viruses. Can't hack a book. Nobody stole my fingerprints from the book unless it's a way more advanced book than I knew. Well, actually, that'd be pretty cool. Actually, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence using your fingerprints, which I will obtain from the book that you read this morning. Well, I did code it. In I really some don't weird see solution. how my fingerprints are going to help you steal anything. Um, they're not that good. These I have low subpar, subpar fingerprints. Fingerprints, <laughs> low access tier fingerprints. Yeah, dang it, I didn't they don't think get this into through. anything. They get into like. I thought I could just station. get anybody's fingerprints and then they'd yeah. let me in as long as they weren't you mine. Yeah, yeah. That's what the machine does. It goes, oh, these aren't your fingerprints. We'll let you in. To yeah. take you're, the you're crafty. Decoration. We'll let you in. That's how it works. That's it. They just wanted you to be dedicated. <laughs> Anna went to an anime convention last weekend and she showed me a picture Nerd. of a guy who had a Nicolas Cage cosplay, but it's just his body was covered in pictures of Nicolas Cage's face. And his face was covered in the most crazy one. And then he had this giant staff scepter thing with the Declaration of Independence on it, like unfurled and pinned. It was great. I'm torn between thinking that's amazing and also thinking, why aren't we still hunter gatherers? (laughs) (laughs) This is a question we posed last week. Yeah, This is what happens when we have time, you know, where when we don't think we're about to be eaten by something and we're not starving. We build Nicolas Cage suits, and maybe that's godliness. Maybe that's what we're supposed to be doing. That is humanity ascending to its highest Who possible form. Who am I, form. a humble man, to know these answers? We could be building a Dyson sphere around the sun to harvest its energy and Dyson power our like, society forever. Like the but, fans that you can uh, stick your hand through? Is that the same? I don't think that, so. That, 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 do they make You're stuff for the Earth? Things. Um, I, I don't think it's actually that. You just put a Dyson fan around the earth and then the earth gets its ions, uh, um, cooled. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it gets its it. ions <laughs> I think. This is now a science podcast. I think, yes. Yeah, this is very scientific. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson would be very, very I impressed. I forgot how those This is Star work. Talk now. You put a giant Dyson fan. <laughs> or one of those Dyson ball vacuums just around the earth, actually, turns out. Yeah. We build a giant Dyson ball vacuum in space. We put it on reverse, and we just, like, blow a, we, we blow a, a, a stream of air over the earth it. from space, right? Then we can build more windmills, and if we have constant wind from the reverse space vacuum, we can generate infinite power. Yeah. Don't ask me how we're powering the vacuum in the first place. Spiral power. I haven't thought about that. No, the Dyson sphere was proposed and popularized by Freeman Dyson, who's a physicist, and I do not believe the founder of the Dyson company that makes those weird hand dryers and such. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice try. <laughs> yeah. I try to bring the top level of education to this podcast. Well, you know, this is the ultimate educational podcast. We have to go cross-discipline sometimes. We can't always just talk about study tips. Sometimes you got to know about space vacuums. Yeah. It's important. All right. This week, we're going to get nerdy. Uh, I wanted to do an episode on how to secure yourself online, how basically to not get hacked, um, how to computer. Yeah, security is for nerds. Security is for nerds. All the cool jocks just out. let themselves get hacked. That is true. Yeah. That is what the cool kids are doing these days, yeah. getting hacked. Yep. I mean, that is kind of true, given that you have, like, the set of everyone getting hacked. So, therefore, the cool kids within that set are getting hacked. Ergo, cool kids get hacked. That's true. So, get hacked if you want to be cool. Yeah. That sounds like a logical yeah. fallacy to me. Yeah, but that sounds like, like something a nerd would say, therefore, really, not cool. It's like a weak syllogism, which is also something a nerd would say. Dang it. Get out of here with your syllables. I'm sorry. I'm just not cool enough for this podcast. <laughs> Okay, but yes, so episode three of the College Info Geek podcast, which was released uh-huh. 
That is what the eighties. Four is that, is years that back, back in the eighties. I think back in the eighties, back when I had a mullet. You know, back when I was Hacker Man and I wore my Nintendo Power Glove to type faster. Oh, I want a Nintendo Power Glove. You can't get them. They're very expensive these days. Uh-huh. I looked after I watched Kung Fury. I'll steal them it's using very sad. my fingerprints. Using your own fingerprints. Done. They'll never think to look there. No, they'll think that I used my own as somebody else, so it's the perfect crime. Well, yeah, fingerprint analysis. Basically, when you're at a crime scene, you find a fingerprint, and you know, all right, this person didn't do it. Because yeah. clearly anybody it stupid enough to leave fingerprints would have faked yeah, somebody it's the, else's it's fingerprints. The, come on, I'm not that dumb. Defense. Yeah, exactly. And it works every time. You really think I would be that stupid? <laughs> You guys are underestimating me. Jeez. Yeah, and then they're like, clearly he's too smart for this. <laughs> if I was really going to rob the bank, here's exactly Not what guilty. I would do. Here's the file on my computer <laughs> where I laid it out. Yeah, here's Oops. a book about how I would have done the murders. <laughs> uh, candlestick, I would have named myself Colonel Mustard, and I would have done it in the foyer. Yeah, legally, I would have changed my name legally. <laughs> legally to Colonel Mustard. That's That's the first step. All right, but yeah, back in 2013, I think it was, um, and I think this was episode three of the podcast, I did an episode on how to tighten up your online security, things that you should do if you are going to use computers and the internet, but nobody listens to those old episodes anymore, and I don't want to listen to those old episodes because they are probably cringy. That's probably true. They're very old. Uh, And also, there's new stuff. I doubt that episode was comprehensive and everything I want to cover here. So I have put oh together... God, that is like a book that I just watched you scroll through, kind of. You, you like how I'm scrolling through all this stuff here? That is a lot of stuff right there. Yeah, so this is going to be one of those episodes where we kind of go rapid fire through stuff. It's going to okay. be a lot of information. We're probably not going to do too much more talking about stealing fingerprints yeah. and cosplaying Nicolas Cage. Yeah, let's Cage. do some securities. Yeah, because I want to give you guys like a good comprehensive overview of how to secure your online life. We're going to go through quite a few things. So... um. The first thing I wanted to start with is basically just I want to put out there that there is no such thing as perfect security. Yeah, that's a good thing to point out. Actually, you know, I'm wrong. There is such a thing as perfect security. Is it but death? It's quantum cryptography. But the problem is like perfect security assumes that you aren't using humans to run it. I suppose you could technically build a system where two machines communicated using like quantum cryptography well, I feel and like they just like executed a program between each other. But the moment you get humans involved, yeah, I feel like the context just assume. Let's just assume humans are involved. I think we could do that safely. Yeah. So there's no such you thing know? as perfect security. <laughs> so the whole idea here is what we call mitigation. It's taking yeah. steps to reduce damage or to reduce the likelihood of damage happening. Uh, You're not guaranteeing that you are going to be protected. But on the other hand, I have heard a lot of people say things like, why should I care about security or why should I care like about my all? privacy? Because I'm boring. Oh, who would care about me? Who would ever find me? I live in Wichita, Kansas in a random suburb or I don't have any money. Why would anybody ever target me? I hear this one a lot from certain friends of mine. Why would anyone ever target me? I work I, I, at Target. I don't think they'd target you, know? you specifically. <laughs> I think target. they'd target a lot of people. Exactly. Yeah. You would be one of them. Yeah. So this is what is known as security by obscurity. I'm so hard to find that who would ever find me in the first place? And security by obscurity is somewhat useful. Like it's definitely not a good idea to be like that CEO of LifeLock and put your social security number on the side of a truck as a PR stunt because that guy was the victim of identity fraud like a bunch of times. (laughs) It turns out his product didn't really work. Um, and we could get into the why social security numbers are a dumb system in the first place in a different episode. But even if you are relatively obscure, even if you're a boring person living in Wichita, Kansas, who works at McDonald's and makes basically no money, you're still a target. Because it's not that there is some snidely whiplash character who is just looking at you through a crystal ball and wanting to target everything you have. People are writing programs that just scrape and like they go all out on the internet and they just look for vulnerabilities everywhere. See, that's actually like, that would be more offensive to me to be caught in one of those because I'm not even special to you. I'm not yeah. even a special target. Basically think about it this way. For the most part, hackers are not like your average hobby fisherman who's just casting a single line with a specifically designed lure that hopefully will entice you. They're more like a fishing trawler boat 
It's just dragging a gigantic net behind them and hoping they catch things. Yeah, and then they throw away a bunch of it because it turns out it wasn't that valuable. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing that I read about recently is in Bitcoin, there's the concept of what is called a brain wallet. So basically, in Bitcoin, like you control your coins through controlling these private keys, which are basically randomly generated strings of, of characters and letters and numbers, and you sign transactions with those. Um, well, you can basically design a program to generate these keys based on random words. And most programs that are good will generate random words out of a dictionary so it's easy for you to remember. So maybe like the wallet you have will have 12 words that are like battery, book, chair, you know, 12 words. And if you have 12 words that are sufficiently randomly chosen, that's a lot of complexity. It's hard to guess. But some people have designed these things called brain wallets, which is basically... You come up with the words yourself and people think, well, that's great because I can just think up the most random words ever and I'll be super secure. And I read a story about a person who set up a brain wallet. They, they chose their words and I think their wife had chosen some like long string of words and they're like, this is 12 words. It's going to be so secure. And they put it in there, put their Bitcoin in the wallet and like the next day it was stolen. Wow. Not because somebody had hacked them, but because somebody out there had basically written a program to try as many combinations of words as possible. And it turns out that humans are horribly bad at making random do decisions. Do we know what their do we know what it was? I'd have to go look at the like, words. Was it was it just because it was the words were too similar or was it like family names or birthdays? I think or it was like I love my children and my community and my family or something. It wasn't and 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 it was all unique words, but it was some it was something that like a typical suburban family would make up about their family. Hmm. You know, and obviously hackers out there know, all right, people care about family. They care about well, they got South Park. Suburban, bot, suburban uh, bot 36 is actually what exactly. went through there. And it was just like, type what you think. Yeah. Done. So, I mean, the, the really fascinating thing for me, though, is like the way that Bitcoin works. It's not that you're actually hacking that person. You're just trying as many combinations as you can get. And you're basically generating the same password they use. And that can happen a lot of times. You know, a lot of times brute force attacks will happen Well, people will try to log into online accounts using common passwords and often they'll get in Yeah, because people are dumb and they think, you know what the best password ever would be? Password or password backwards. Well, now everybody knows that's so bad that it would be so ironic. It's once again, I'm not that dumb defense. That's true. Brilliant. But But it doesn't work because bots don't care. I don't think the bots are going to give you back your money if you defend yourself in court. They're just going to keep the money. Yeah. Yeah. So all this is to say... Um, people are not necessarily targeting you, but you're still a target nonetheless because you're a potential person in the path of the dragnet. So keep this stuff in mind and take your online security seriously. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about is password security. So what makes a good password? Uh, stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> you know, a unique combination of alphanumeric characters, punctuation, and things that can't be done in a dictionary attack. Things that, you know. There you go. Long yeah. stuff. And long. Exactly. So the length and what they call password entropy are the most important parts here. Um, essentially, you have two main kind of attacks for guessing pack- passwords. There's the brute force attack where you take a computer and it guesses zero. That's not correct. So it'll guess one. That's not correct. Goes through all those guesses A. That's not correct. All right, now we'll move on to two-digit passwords. AA, AB, and so on. Yeah. A computer can do this at ridiculous levels of speed. But if you have a sufficiently large enough character set, such as the ASCII standard, which has capital letters, lowercase letters, numbers, and symbols, and then you have a sufficiently long enough password, then you get to the point where there are so many potential combinations that it would take thousands upon thousands of years, sometimes millions of years to ever try that many combinations. Yeah. Um, and there's actually, we'll have in the show notes, there is a website that you can go to and you can put in a potential password and see how long it would take current computer hardware to break it. I would not recommend putting your real passwords into it because I would never recommend putting your real passwords into anything other than the places <laughs> yeah. where those go. Oops, you had a keylogger. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> Who knows if that person set up that website to collect passwords? I don't think they did, but you can never trust anybody. So, but and, and the point is, it's just the length. As you type in more characters, as long as it's not 
one 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 or something really simplistic, you'll see the amount of time required to crack the password. Yeah, go up. you'd want the same number of stuff from different sets because that that's why you don't want only only letters because then it's the twenty six different options. Yep. So you need the one of each set to to make the options go up. Yeah. So you basically you're just trying to increase the amount of combinations possible. There's also something called dictionary attacks, and this is where we'll go through a dictionary looking for common words. And also, this is where some people who think they're clever get tripped up. The dictionary programs will look for common permutations of common oh, words. Oh, yeah. So if my password is um, free, but I changed the E's to threes, I think I'm so clever, they have already coded that. That's really easy to check for. It's super easy. I'm sure you could write some sort of like regular expression to try every word with every vowel changed, to like O's changed to zeros. Threes or E's changed to threes, I's changed to bang marks. Yeah. It would be very easy they're, to check They're that. pretty obvious Yeah. So characters. obviously a password that has a three instead of an E is more secure than just the straight up word, but it still could be insecure. Um, so you want to be aware of these two types of attacks. Um, so when it comes to selecting a good password, the number one thing is that it needs to be mildly complex, but it needs to also be long, at least eight characters. I'm a paranoid person. And I realize that computer hardware is going to get better in the future. So I generally choose like 20 plus character passwords, but at least eight. Um, you never want to repeat your passwords. And this is because essentially if this is the weakest link principle, essentially if you repeat your passwords and then let's say you use the same password for your online banking that you use for your um, Final Fantasy fanfic forum that you're a part of because i know that you guys are and say that forum is coded really badly and it gets hacked and let's just say that the person who coded the forum was actually a 12 year old who didn't really know what they were doing because that happens and they were just storing the passwords in plain text they weren't encrypting them at all all right well now the hackers have a copy of that database they can go in there and say oh look this email here is associated with this password so now i'm just going to go over to every banking website try that email or try that username associated with that email and see if that password works. Yep. And if you have repeated passwords, boom, the weakest site that that password is used on is now the weakest link. So you're no longer trusting your bank security. You're trusting the Final Fantasy fanfic forum security yeah, or that with all of your money. turns evil. And he's just like, now sure. I have an entire list of everybody's default usernames and passwords. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got bored of fanfics and now I'm into stealing. Yeah. Now, banks and most legit organizations, um, they're required to adhere to a standard where they literally could not, even if yeah. they wanted to, see your passwords in plain text. They are what's called hashed, essentially. They are thrown through a cryptographic algorithm um, when you type them in, and what is stored in the database is that hash, which just looks like a bunch of jumbled up characters. And the only way that you're able to log in is by you type in your password, the same exact algorithm will hash it, and then it compares the hash that you put in with the database and then lets you in if it's correct. Yeah. So they can't actually see it. Um, so never repeat your passwords. Now, the problem that comes with never repeating your passwords, obviously, is that it's difficult to remember them, especially if they're lengthy. So you have a couple of different options here for uh, making this easier to handle. Number one is kind of a mental hack. And this is what I would call like the prefix principle using password, um, like a prefix. So doing this, you could have a suitably complex, like maybe first half of the password that you do use repeatedly. So let's just say I've got a pair of headphones over there. So I use like headphone 986 and I maybe change some characters in that. So that's actually 12. No. Yeah. 12 characters right there. So headphone 986 is my little prefix. But then on every website that I use that password on, I also append maybe six more characters that is unique to that website. So that way, all you got to remember is a shorter password half for each website that you would append to the one that you know hmm. by heart. That's one way to do it. Um, it's mildly more secure. I mean, you do still have the root that is common. So I guess if somebody was able to get that first part of the prefix, they could maybe start guessing. Yeah. Once they the knew it was a one, prefix, they could, they could put the prefix into a brute forcing thing and maybe yeah. check on stuff. It's still more secure than using the same password. Um, and then the gold standard is to use a password manager. 
So you can use something like one password. You can use something like LastPass. Um, you can use something like KeePass is one. And basically, this is a program that will store your passwords for you. And all the good reputable ones are protected by extremely strong cryptography and security. And you'll basically have one master password that you need to put in. And when you do that, it will either give you access to all your passwords or in some cases can actually fill in the forms for you. Yeah. That's what LastPass does. And that's pretty well. Uh, that's pretty secure. I guess the only thing there is you have to trust the manager. Yeah, you have to trust the manager, but also don't repeat even once the master password anywhere. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, that's a bad idea. Because that, that would be pretty dumb if your master password for LastPass was your Facebook password. Yes. You know, you think, oh, I've only used it twice, but you used it in the most important place you could use it. So. Yep. Um, now, the one thing I do want to mention here is that passwords, like with LastPass, with KeyPass, with 1Password, it can generate secure passwords for you using pretty darn random algorithms. And this is good. So this is what I typically will do. Most websites, I have no idea what the password is. Yeah. It is some gigantic long string of characters. Uh, obviously, you're not going to remember those characters. So if you do this, you do need to remember two passwords. You need to remember the password to your password manager because they make it intentionally very difficult to get in if you forget the master password, which makes a lot of sense. And you need to remember the password to your email account. Because every online account that you use, if you forget your password and do a password reset, it's going to go to your email. Yeah. So if you don't have access to your email, well, now you're locked out for good. And you want to keep your email secure, too, because somebody else could try resetting your passwords if they got into your email. So we're going to talk about email in a second or later in the episode here. I do have some stuff about email. Cool. That's very important. Uh, The next thing I want to talk about, though, is two-factor authentication. So essentially... Uh, If you've ever used one of those programs where it generates a code on your phone that you have to type in to log in, or maybe your bank sends a code via text message to you to log in in addition to your password, this is more secure than just having a password because now to get into your account, a hacker would need your password, your username, and then access to your phone or the time-based code that has been generated for you to log in. So it just makes it harder. Yeah. There's two types of two-factor authentication. The first one is called time-based one-time password, and this is the most common one. This is basically the one where you open Google Authenticator or you get a text message and it says, hey, within the next you know, minute or five minutes, type in this code. And after that amount of time, it'll expire and you need to get a new one. Um, this is the most common. There are some weaknesses to it, but it's better than nothing. Uh, there are weaknesses to everything. There are weaknesses to everything, except for quantum cryptography. That's just, well, get that on your really Facebook cool. account. Yeah, they're working on it. They're working on it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they're working on asking me for naked pictures in Australia. They're not working they on quantum are, stuff. Facebook is asking for nudes. They're, they're working on weird stuff. Some researchers researchers are working on the quantum stuff. And it's really cool, but it's a time or a topic for another time. Uh, the other one is called Universal Second Factor. This uses what's called public key cryptography. And you can Google that, or I can put some links in the show notes or something. That's. We don't have time to explain how that works. Uh, But essentially, it's more secure. And YubiKey is a good example of this. They actually send you a hardware key that you maybe keep on your keychain or somewhere secure. And you'd have to plug it into your computer when you're logging in to authenticate. Yeah. So that's one thing. Um, Usually, you're going to see time-based. And that's going to be the most common. And luckily, a lot more sites these days are enabling this. So I recommend enabling it basically anywhere you can. Um, and at least enabling it on like important sites such as social networking where people could go in and damage your reputation by posting something bad or your bank or your email or, and I don't know anything or, that or you think is important. Or LastPass or your password manager. LastPass that, definitely. That supports yeah. two-factor. You should use it there. Yep. But you also need to be very, very careful because once you've – the more steps you create for somebody else to get into your account, the more steps you create for yourself. So if you like – smash your phone or lose your little yubi key and you're like well it's so secure that even i can't get into my bank account now awesome yep so well i did want to talk about that all right so before we talk about that i do want to mention there's a website that lists many of the sites that now have two-factor auth enabled so you don't have to go digging into the settings of every site you use you can go to twofactorauth.org and that's actually spelled out uh t-w-o not not the Mm. number two and we'll have that in the show notes 
So you can go through there and you can look and see, oh, hey, I could go enable two-factor auth on Evernote, on Facebook, all these things. All right, so there's some weaknesses of two-factor auth, especially with the time-based one. Um, one of them is if you get your codes via SMS, like text messages, that's potentially very weak. We're going to address that in the social engineering section. The other thing is most websites where I get two-factor auth set up, it also gives you a series of backup codes. They're basically like one-time passwords that you can enter in case you lose your phone or someone smashes it or something like that. Yeah. The problem is, say you leave your computer unlocked one day and somebody comes in and you've left your browser open so they have access to your last password or your password manager. If you've stored these backup codes just in a text file somewhere in plain text, now they have those too. So, or if they somehow gain access to your computer via a virus or something, boom, there it is. They have those backup codes. So that essentially defeats the security of the two-factor auth if they have those. You know, it's less it's less likely that they're going to get them than you just getting hacked with a single password, but it is a potential vulnerability. Yeah. So at the very least, if you're going to use these backup codes, um, change them up somehow. Maybe write it down and then switch every character that's like one and two, switch those, three and four, switch those or something. Some cipher that you know and you will remember easily. That way, if somebody just happens to get them, it's not going to be so trivial for them to log in. I don't know. I'm, I mean, this is the way that my brain works. I think there's going to be a lot of people out there who don't, don't want to do, do that, that much, but that's also because I would just not care about all of those sites. I would accept the trade-off knowing that I'm going to forget the little pattern that I put in unless I do it for a lot of things. If I do the pattern for a lot of things, I'll remember it. Or you could go get a lockbox at a bank and have a paper in there that I could says, do this that. is my pattern or I could do like that, that, but then somebody might rob the bank and they're going to get my pattern. Here's that's probably not what they're there for. Here's what you do. You, you open two accounts at two separate banks, two separate companies, right? Okay. Okay, you, you put a lockbox with your pattern in one of them, but okay. the pattern itself is encrypted with another pattern, Ooh. and you put that in the other lockbox. Nice. Boom. Well, there it is. Double bank security. Because then they basically do have to be targeting you specifically to figure that one and out. And they would have to literally rob, rob two banks. Two banks. <laughs> That's security. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're like the leader of a nation or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think like do you, you become the leader of a nation when you do that. Look, if somebody really wants to read my Final Fantasy fan fiction drafts that I haven't published yet that badly and they're willing to break into two banks to do it, I guess more power to them. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's basically how I view it is like if somebody in particular wanted something from me badly enough, yeah. I should assume that it is possible so what I should do is make it as annoying and, and completely unreasonable for them to do as possible. Yeah. Pretty, because I mean, if I put everything, if I here. like put everything in my house and everything's only local and I never use the internet, you could still break in and steal my hard drive. Like it's true. stuff could still happen even if I disconnect from the internet entirely. Yep. I've seen Die Hard 4. It's scary out there, I, man. I haven't. I assume they die hard. Uh, some people do die hard in that movie. Cool. That movie is four of them. That movie's hilarious. The first die hard is just this, the story of John McClane in a building with no shoes fighting some bad guys. And the fourth one, he's fighting a fighter jet on foot and he crashes a Wait, car. He's, into he's a person on foot fighting a jet. Yes. <laughs> well, he is in a semi truck for a little bit, but then the oh, okay. semi truck gets destroyed. So then he's on uh, foot. Uh, and yes, he does win. I don't regret that I don't watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Spoilers. That's not a secure thing to do, by the way, fighting a fighter jet. And it has Timothy Oliphant as Hacker Man. But like, the evil Hacker Man. Oh no. You know? Whoa. Yeah, he's real evil. Alrighty, so we got 2FA covered. We got passwords covered. I want to move on to viruses now. I don't know what you're going to say. Yeah, Tom, what were you trying to get off your computer this morning? <laughs> Yes. Mr. Expert over here. <laughs> something something did get onto my Windows-based computer this morning. It was a potentially unwanted program, so I don't think it was like a straight-up malware, but it was something yeah, I don't want on my computer. It's something. And it's hard to find. Something got in there. You know, so even somebody as security-minded as myself can get something on their computer they don't want, which should tell you that you should take steps to protect yourself as much as you can. Um, obviously, you could use Gentoo Linux or Slackware 
or any of those really obscure Linux distros that have a much more secure file system. Or you could just use Max Lol, like you say all the time, and Andrew says all the time. It's Of course, yeah, the more like to, that Macs are used, the more they're targeted. That's the reason Windows PCs are so targeted is because they're used more. Well, there's some other stuff that makes it harder, but Linux is the best one because if you want things to be secure, you need to make it so hard you can't use it yourself. Therefore, there you go, my yeah. personal computer is actually a, a Gentoo Linux server, Yep, and uh, I use the Lynx command line browser. Well, I had For some money, needs. and I wanted no one to steal this money, so I actually put it in a lockbox, and then I encased that lockbox in molten steel, which I allowed to harden, buried that underground, filled that with concrete. Yeah, it's all a balance between, like, security and your own freedom. Yep. Yeah, it really is. That's that's the tough thing. Okay, so obviously using a Mac uh, is more secure, and I did see one person online, I was reading a security article, and they said, you could just buy a low-cost Chromebook for all of your browsing if you're just going to browse randomly or you had certain shady things you wanted to look at on the internet, maybe Ooh, do it on a Chromebook that's, that's or something. That's what a Chromebook's for. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, because it's much less likely to get infected and you're you're maintaining an air gap between this computer where you do less serious browsing and this computer where your you know, valuable things are stored, where you access your bank, stuff like that. I'm probably not going to go buy a Chromebook. Yeah, you, you need a computer for each specific thing that you do yeah, on I, the internet. I don't want to do that. But that, that is an option. Um, if you do use Windows, though, at least make sure your computer has an active antivirus. And the lucky thing is if you have a up-to-date copy of Windows 7, 8, or 10, Windows Defender is on there. So that will help protect you from viruses. Now, I did note that HowToGeek and other sites recommended having an anti-malware and anti-exploit program that acts alongside the antivirus program. Okay. And apparently that helps with browser exploits and things like that. Um, the one I use is Malwarebytes. I pay for it, but there is a free version that is still pretty good. It likes me some Malwarebytes. It, uh, it's been trusted in the past. Yeah. Yeah, we used to use that when I worked at the uh, It hasn't really IT failed Center. me. Yep. I mean, it, it's, it detected those things. It's just there's some location on the computer that keeps reinstalling them every time Malwarebytes deletes them. So I have to go find where that is, which will be so much fun. Um, but yeah, that can help. And then... Another thing that a lot of people often don't think of is using an ad blocker could potentially keep you more secure. Yes. And the reason for this is that a lot of sites are dumb and they don't just put ads up on their sites themselves. What they do is they go to these third parties who say, hey, we'll install this plugin on your site that will basically allow us to go out and sell advertising and then put it on your website algorithmically which is really another way of saying, hey, we're going to put this box on your site that allows us to put whatever we want on it. Trust us, it's fine. And somebody might, or some people might have seen the tweet that I put out a couple of weeks ago where I brought up Yahoo Finance on my phone and my Safari browser kept getting redirected to this really spammy website with a big pop-up on it. Well, that's because Yahoo Finance allows people to put these really spammy, malware ads on their website. Yeah, because they want money, I guess. And, and the thing so, is, even if it's a good ad provider, they could get hacked, and then like they could get hacked. Good, good sites. I've gotten I've gotten malware on my old Android phone, like from just a web comic that is usually fine. But they were like, "Oh, it turns mm. out that uh, somebody bad got into the ad service that we use." Yeah, so it's so not like, like was it was it SNBC or something? It, it, or? it was either that or I I don't really remember. But it's not like the author of that comic is going. <laughs> no, it's just it's just the ad provider who he has trusted to yeah, put good they, ads. They've on their made site. a mistake. They somehow. made a mistake. Somebody maybe, down the line. Maybe the advertiser, you know, tried to pull the wool over the ad provider's eyes. Bottom line is, you don't know who to trust. Yeah. So, and the thing is, back in 2015, um, there was a thing that happened where a Yahoo site had a malware infected ad on it, and you didn't even have to click on it. It was just if you loaded it. It loaded something. So an ad blocker can actually prevent these things from ever loading, pretty yeah. much. Um, there are, are several. There's uBlock Origin. There is AdBlock. There's AdBlock Plus. I don't really know what the difference is between most of them. I use uBlock Origin. Um, and the thing is, obviously, sites kind of live and die off of advertising. It's how they make their money. So my suggestion is use it by default. And then if you have a website that you trust and want to support, whitelist that site. Yeah. Because... 
there, again, there's a trade-off. You want to support the sites that you use and like, but you also want to protect yourself. So by choosing to go with Adblock by default, if you happen to Google something randomly and you go to a random site, now that site has less of a chance of doing something. And then if you really like HowToGeek or you really like Reddit or some other site that does use ads, go ahead and whitelist them. Yeah. You know, it doesn't guarantee they're never going to get an affected ad, but you're at least massively reducing the pool of websites that you're exposing yourself to. So that's one thing to do. And then lastly, be careful what you install. Um, I don't think I installed anything <laughs> that put those things on my computer. I honestly think it's something my brother installed and then it put it. Yeah, it's it, a, the, the Chrome that's sync a classic. thing happened. My brother did it. Yeah, it was, my brother. It was did my it. little brother. He came in here and I don't know what he was doing on the computer, mom. Dude, little there brothers. There are viruses all over the place now. Little brothers. Wasn't do me. That all the time. They do. They do everything. They also mess you up while you're playing video games. You can't focus and then exactly. you lose. I know, right? Like I was gonna be Ninja Gaiden on hard mode without even taking one hit, but my I'm, brother came in and started watching me and just I'm sure too me. much pressure. Yeah, he was messing me up. But, Get out. but yeah, like stuff comes alongside the stuff you install. Yes. I got something from a Chrome extension once that was mm. that was like very similarly named to the legit one. Oh and had yeah. enough installs, probably from bots or something, or people being tricked so mm-hmm. that it looked legit. And I was like, Oh, it's that. And then I was like, What do I keep getting these pop ups that I did not ask for? Yep. And then I uninstalled it. It's fine. Looks like that mm-hmm. was a fake one. Like you saying yes to things is the most dangerous thing for your security because it's true. you are the last defense. Yeah. And let me tell you, if you if you download free software, in any case where you're using something for free, you're the product. Yeah. So a That's, lot of them at least come with a little bit like default checked. We're also installing this little toolbar thing. Yep. And it's default checked. So this is what they call a dark pattern where the obvious UI or UX pattern would be to have it unchecked by default, and then you could choose to check it if you want. But obviously nobody wants to check yeah. the installation of crapware in their computer, so they're going to have it checked by default in really small text that's hard to see. So you're installing whatever free little music player or something you want, and are you cool if we install this pop-up generating program on your computer too? Okay, cool, we, we did it. Yeah. yeah. And software developers can make bank doing this. Like so I've read somewhere that... Uh, with some of these, they'll pay them like $2 per install. You know, and on a free pair of piece of software that millions of people are downloading, yeah, that's that can good. be pretty profitable. It's pretty good. So just keep an eye out for that stuff. Keep an eye out for Chrome extensions as well. Um, a lot of times when you go to install a Chrome extension, it'll say, this extension can read and manage your data on all websites. Yeah, it tells well, you the permissions. take that seriously. You know, maybe some extensions are fine and you're willing to take that risk, but if it's you know, it just pops up a little picture of a baby that's cute in the corner, but it says it can read all data yeah. on websites. Maybe yeah, you got to be like, okay, off. what's the logic? Why does it need that permission? It looks like it doesn't need that permission. Yeah. I could probably build this without using that permission. Therefore, I'm not going to give it my permission. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So moving on here, I want to talk about social engineering. This is the most vulnerable part of any secure system, the human element yeah because people are so easily tricked or they're lazy or they fall into predictable patterns i was reading about uh how the enigma code was broken in world war ii so the enigma was the german cipher that they used to encrypt their communications which went over the radio um and there are several ways that this was broken but one of the things was that uh every single morning they would send out around 6 a.m a weather report and in German, the word for weather is like wetter, W-E-T-T-E-R. So that basically gave the analysis people in uh, the UK and elsewhere a foothold. So now they could get all these encrypted messages and they had no idea what they said, but they could assume, all right, within probably the first 10 characters of this message, the word wetter is encrypted somewhere in here. So we kind of know what this is or we have a good guess. And that enabled them to start breaking things. So it wasn't, I mean, the Enigma code did have some inherent security vulnerabilities itself, but the reason they were able to break it as soon as they were is because people were using it by repeating words yeah, and essentially introducing more vulnerabilities into the system. Um, in 2012, I believe, there was a writer for Wired who got hacked because somebody called up his cell phone provider and basically impersonated them and said, hey, I'm, 
I'm this guy, but I got a new phone. Can you switch my SIM card over to this phone? And boom, now he has that phone number. Um, it actually happened to Boogie, a YouTuber. So he, I think he had his phone set as the recovery for his Gmail. So someone called Verizon or AT&T or whoever he used and said, hey, I'm Boogie. I just got a new phone. So can you switch to this SIM card for my phone number? And boom, now if any recovery codes are sent to that phone number, it's sent to that person. Technology is the worst. It's real bad, isn't it? Because we can't yeah. handle it all ourselves. So we got to give it to giant companies that don't know us personally. Mm-hmm. And if you want to read about some really interesting social engineering stories, I have a couple of book recommendations. Kevin Mitnick's Ghost in the Wires is a really good, uh, more modern one. And then Catch Me If You Can by Frank Abagnale is a great one. Um, he was doing more like check fraud because it was kind of back in like the 60s, I think. So there weren't as many computer systems to do things with, but it was still straight up social engineering. He'd walk into a bank dressed as a pilot with a faked pilot's check. And usually they would be a little bit more scrutinizing with checks that weren't from their bank. But because he's wearing this fancy uniform with Mm. the hat and he looks all authoritative and he looks like he works for the airline, they think, oh, wow, you work for the airline. Yeah, I'll just cash this check. And he'd often flirt like hardcore with the bank teller women to distract them. So straight up social engineering. All right. So with that in mind, there's a couple of different social engineering things I want to talk about. The first thing is email phishing. So what this basically is, is they'll send you an email or an email with a link that goes to a site that you think you trust. So maybe it says, hey, your Facebook account is potentially compromised. We need you to click here and go reset your password. But maybe it takes you to facebook.com instead of facebook.com. Like it's a URL that's very similar and maybe you will get tripped up. And they'll make a page that looks exactly like Facebook where it says put in your username and a new password or put in your old password and then this new one. So you do that and now they've just gained your username and your password. They can go over to Facebook faster than you, log in, lock you out. Now they have your account. And this can happen with banking, email, anything. It happens a lot. Um, When I worked at Principal during my internship, I had a guy call. And this wasn't an email phishing scam, but I had a guy call and he was like, hey, I'm one of the companies that your company works with on some security stuff. And I need the version numbers of the database and router software you're Hmm. using. And I'm like, you can talk to my supervisor about that. But... I'm not giving you version numbers of software over the phone yeah. because you're an untrusted party. I have no idea who you are. Yeah, they're you just know? saying, hey, could I could I get a list of the default passwords and weaknesses and the exact versions of your software, please? Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Could we just skip the middleman where I have to search for it? You know, and this works because people are inherently trusting. And it seems like impolite. It seems mean. It's awkward to say no to it people. It does seem mean. Saying no is hard to do. So get good at that. Just the other day, you and I were walking back into our apartment and this older woman says, hey, can I come in behind you? I'm visiting someone. Oh, and I'm always wary of those people. So I don't go up to my floor immediately because I'm like, I'm not letting them know where I live. <laughs> There's a reason why I went and checked the mail. Yeah. yeah. Because I was like, I'm not going to be the person giving you access to the email or to the elevator. Right yeah. Now. Now, I didn't say anything. But the mental calculus when she asked that is this is daytime hours. The doors are unlocked anyway on the front. So yeah, I do. I do the same thing. Maybe that makes us nothing. seem really paranoid that I'm like this old lady's <laughs> gonna like rob me at gunpoint. But I'm like, I yeah. don't need to let you know even well, what floor I live on or let you on the elevator. Thing. You know, it's a probability thing. But I don't think like if it was late at night, I I would probably say I think you should call the person that you're here to visit. <laughs> you know, definitely not letting people up the elevator. Uh, but into the building is still a thing. Yeah, I'd probably so, pretend I need I forgot something and then leave and then go into another door where they weren't waiting for somebody to let them in. Yeah, but us weird paranoid people are not the majority. Most no. people would say, well, sure, come on in. <laughs> what floor are you going to? <laughs> or who are you visiting? I'll tell you exactly where they live. Yeah. You know, it happens all the time. So you have to not be so trusting. Uh, so when you get an email like this, Rule number one, if, if you don't expect that kind of an email, don't click it, you, especially if yeah. it's like your bank or the IRS or something. If you really think that the IRS needs some information for you from you or your bank needs some information from you, just go to your browser and type in the URL and log in normally. If it's legit, the same message is going to be there. Yeah. You know, there's no reason to They'd follow have a notification the somewhere. Basically, the way I think of it is 
if someone if if someone is trying to get me to do something, I'm more suspect of it than if I were to seek out the thing. Yeah, because there's less of a potential incentive there for it to be uh, malicious. Uh, the other thing is if you use a password manager like LastPass, this can actually be very helpful. So say you go to a link that you think is gmail.com, but it's actually gmall.com. And it's very easy to tell the difference when you're speaking it. But if you're looking at it quickly, an I can look like an L. Yeah. But if you went to a URL that was not legit, then your little LastPass thing wouldn't have a saved entry. So you know, oh, this isn't the right site. Because LastPass knows the URL. Yeah, you know what's interesting? If somebody made a piece of malware or something that targeted your host's file, and then they tried to fish you, they could have the legit domain leading to their own stuff. So that's pretty tricky. That's true, yeah. Well, redirects happen in many different ways, not just host files. Well, I mean, well that, that was another thing I wanted to talk seamless. about later, is if, um, if someone happens to get access to, say, a coffee shop router, they could redirect traffic. Yeah. Yep. So we'll talk about that. In a bit. And I'm afraid this episode is going to be too complex for people. They're just going to be like, I don't want to deal with any of this, but it's important. Well, so, yeah. Well, let just we'll just give like a rundown at the end of like the basic yeah, first steps if you're I can scared just go and to confused. The, I can just go to the top yeah. uh, bullet list point for each one. Make it easy at the end. Exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's email phishing. Um, the other thing, this is a little bit more technical, but if you're going to be entering information into a site such as a username or a password or a social security number, or anything personal like that, look up in the corner and see if that site is secure. Um, in mm. technical terms, what we're talking about is an SSL certificate, but if you use Chrome, which most people do, you can actually see, it will say secure, and if it's a really secure institution like a bank, it will often say the name of the company there with a lock icon, and if it's not, it will say not secure. So if it's asking you to put in a password and it's not secure, don't do it, because anybody who's on the same network could see that yeah. it's not encrypted. All right. Uh, the other thing is I want to talk about is, is I guess I, I did talk about the SIM switch, right? Yeah, but I didn't talk about how to deal with it. All right. So another form of social engineering is somebody somehow gets your address or they get your phone number, they get your name, they get your birthday, they get your mom's maiden name. Really easy to find information, to be honest. Like if I really wanted your mom's maiden name, I know she lives in a certain city um, I could go look at the county courthouse records for, you know, housing deeds or something, and I could see her full name there. That's public information, really easy to find. And it's very dumb that websites often will ask you to set these secret questions based on stuff like that. I hate that those are like questions. That. What city did you grow up in? What's your mom's maiden yeah, name? Guess what? Everybody knows Everyone that. Everyone knows that. So actually, this is a tip I didn't write down, but when it comes to those secret questions, lie. Or you can use them as a second password, use them as a second password. The way I do it is I'll use an honest answer, but I have a key phrase that goes before the honest answer. So mm. at least you couldn't go look it up. You'd need to know the key phrase too. that increases the security. So what people will do is they'll find some piece of information about you that makes it very easy to convince somebody else that they are you. So then they'll call your phone company and they'll say, Hey, I'm Martin Bamey. And they'll say, okay, can I ask you some questions to verify your identity, sir? Where were you born? What year were you born? Easy to find. Yeah. And then it's now they fire think, mixtape. Now they think I'm you. You know, can you spit the first four bars from your fire mixtape? Yeah. Heck, yes, I can. Duh. Duh. And then they'll say, I lost my phone, actually. I was riding the log ride at Adventureland and it fell into the pool and I needed, I got a new one. And I got a new SIM card in there. Can you associate my phone number with this new SIM card? Now they have your phone number. Yep. So any website that will allow you to recover your account by sending a code to your phone number, now that code's going to their phone number. And they can own everything. So what you need to do is, at the very least, call your phone company and say, I don't want anybody to be able to make changes to my account unless they say a specific PIN number that is randomly generated that you only know. Not something that's based on your birthday or your social security number, anything like that. It needs to be random. Yeah. Or more secure, say, if anything's going to be changed in my account, I need to come in in person to the store. With like and, an ID. With an ID and verify myself in person. That way they at least have to go, you know, if at that point, 
somebody coming in to change something on your account, even if they were able to convince the store rep that they were you, they're on security cameras at that point. Kind of wish they're going to jail for a long time. It should be default. And I mean, more and more companies are moving towards policies like this as more social engineering attacks happen. Yeah. But a lot of times you got to proactively reach out and do this yourself. So you should do that. All right. Um, I want to talk about email now. So we've been mentioning a bunch of times on this episode that whenever you need to reset a password or whenever you need to recover an account, a lot of times something is sent to your email. So essentially what your email is, is a recovery center or in other terms, it's the keys to the kingdom. It's the backdoor method to get into everything. And because of that, why do we use our email addresses to communicate with other people and put our email addresses out there for the world to know what they are? It seems a little silly, right? So what I would recommend doing is having one email for your accounts and another email for communicating with other people and emailing back and forth. So if a password reset is going to be sent to an email, have it sent to an email that people don't generally know. Yeah. And then have another email that you use to email your mom and to respond to the pictures of Obama with an elephant's head that your grandpa sent you last week. Forward this to 14 people you know because it's hilarious. I'm not responding to grandpa. <laughs> Forwards from grandma. <laughs> I think there's a Reddit called Forwards from Grandma. It's pretty funny. That sounds great. Yep. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes too. It's a pretty good one. But yeah, have two different email addresses. Okay. Um, physical security. So I had a couple of things here. They're really quick. Set your phone to lock after a certain amount of time. And make sure that you have a good password in your phone. Not just 1111. Because, again, if somebody gets their hands on your phone, they steal it or you drop it somewhere and they have it and it happens to be unlocked, well, now they have your two-factor auth code device because maybe you have the app on there like Google Authenticator or if you have any sites that send you text messages, they have it now, you know? Yeah. So make sure your phone is locked. Um, I think with most smartphones, you can set it to actually wipe your phone if the password is put in incorrectly a number of times. So that's one thing to do. And if you back your phone up to iCloud or whatever Android has for that, then it's not such a big deal if your phone gets wiped. Yeah. You know, your phone was probably wiped if it got lost anyway. I don't know. Maybe you have Find My iPhone on, but that's not a yeah, perfect It's safer solution. to just assume that it's gone. Yeah. Assume that it's gone and rest assured that the data is gone with it. Not that it's in the hands of somebody else. Okay. Public Wi-Fi is the next one. Um, in general, don't do your taxes and your banking on public Wi-Fi <laughs> because again, even though websites use SSL, which means your communications are encrypted, somebody could own the router. Somebody could be redirecting you to phishing sites and you could just slip up once and put your password into something that looks like your bank website. Who knows? Um, be really wary of networks like free airport Wi-Fi. Anything like that. Any any network that seems to be enticing you to click on it, you probably shouldn't click on it. Yeah. What I'll usually do is if I'm at an airport, I will actually go on my phone and Google what the official uh, airport Wi-Fi is just to make sure. And if I'm at a coffee shop, Starbucks, it's Starbucks. Google Starbucks always. Um, if it's a, like an independent coffee shop, I'll usually ask the barista. I usually have to ask the barista for the password anyway. So... At least then you know you're not getting onto somebody's hotspot they set up just to yeah, sniff your traffic. Yeah, my community college, somebody did that because, like, the the school Wi-Fis were the, like, name one and name two, depending on what building you were in, and they just made one that was name three, and they were running mm. it from their phone, and they were bragging about it in class. Weren't you saying and then that they that got, person was, like, he was saying if anybody gets taken in by this, they deserve it because they're stupid? Yeah. Yeah, that guy's a dirtbag. <laughs> Yeah, I believe he was punished and not recommended for many things. That's probably good. (laughs) But yeah, people are out there doing that in your college classrooms. You know, there's a great example of it. So make sure you trust the Wi-Fi network you're getting on. I on my phone right now. I could just mimic your Wi-Fi name and bam. It's it's pretty easy. Actually, there's a podcast. um, What is it called? I think the podcast might be called Hacked or something like that. We'll have it in the show notes. It's a podcast put out by McAfee Hmm. and it's. It's actually a pretty well-produced show where every episode the host actually goes through and demonstrates and often will do or get an expert to do some of these hacks and attacks to show how they work. 
Interesting. And one of the ones that happened is they actually went into a coffee shop. They got the blessing of the owner to set up a network that looked exactly like the coffee shop's network. I think they maybe had like snuck into the back and unplugged the router for the real one and then set up their own. Mm. So all these people are connecting and some of the traffic is encrypted, but some of it's not. And, you know, and there's also something called traffic analysis, which is basically the practice of not reading the traffic because it is encrypted, but reading the metadata around it. How often is somebody connecting to this IP address? Okay, well, maybe I could maybe infer from that certain things. And any information people gain about you could potentially be used in tandem with other information from other sources to be useful. Yeah. Um, The British did this a lot in World War II. They couldn't read a lot of Enigma messages, but they could tell where they were going to, or they could see certain patterns of repetition in um, how the Morse code was tapped out. So they know, okay, this guy is on break or something, or this, we can tell this guy is, uh, broadcasting from this station. Hmm. There was all this like location data they could use. And I think they were actually able, there was a story from world war one where they were able to use like this traffic analysis to actually figure out where a huge attack was going to be launched. And that saved a lot of people's lives. Nice. Uh, and possibly contributed to the victory of the allies. So yeah, there's a lot that can be done there. All right. Uh, the other thing here with public Wi-Fi is you could consider using a VPN which is a virtual private network. It basically makes sure that all traffic that you're sending out is encrypted. And there's one called private internet access. Um, there are some others out there that I can't remember the names of. Tunnel Bear is one, I think. That sounds cute. So I like it. It has a bear. Yeah, there you go. Look at that cute little tunnel bear. What's he doing in there? bear. Yeah. All right, so I have two more. All right. Two more. One, this is more on the financial side, but monitor your credit and your credit cards. Because, as many of you probably know, Equifax recently got hacked. Because their data security practices were downright stupid. And should have been criminal. But I guess they're not because... Too big to be punished, am I right? Too big to fail, I guess. Um, But, you know, 145 million Americans' personal information was compromised. And when half half of the nation's information is compromised... And there's no trustworthy way to verify that you are or are not, then you are. You know, yeah. that's the you, safest. It's safer assumption. to assume. So anybody who lives in America should assume that your social security number, your credit history, your address, anything is just out there, able to be bought by hackers and whoever. Yeah. You know, just you have to assume that. Um so when it comes to your credit. Again, people can use this information to open a credit account in your name, to open a credit card, to get a loan. And a lot of times when your identity is stolen like this, it can be really difficult to deal with. So you want to make sure you're catching it uh, when it happens and keeping an eye on stuff. So an easy way to do this is to use a service called Credit Karma, uh, creditkarma.com. And on that website, you can actually check your credit score basically whenever you want for free. They don't charge you, which is why I like Credit Karma, because a lot of these other sites do charge you. And you can also see the events that have impacted your credit. So if you go on there and you see somebody opened a loan and you're like, that wasn't me. Well, now you could start notifying the credit agencies. Yeah. The other thing that has been recommended that you do is you actually freeze your credit at the three main agencies. There's Equifax, there's Experian and TransUnion. You can actually freeze your credit there. So basically no new accounts could be opened in your name until you call in and unfreeze it. Um, I've heard this can cost like 10 bucks potentially. Yeah, and you probably got to get through like a billion phone calls and administrative yeah. bureaucracy. It's not fair, but the world's not fair, I guess. <laughs> uh, and lastly, make sure you're backing up your files. This is less of like a hacking thing and more of just a general good advice thing. But I was in the library at Iowa State during my sophomore year. And this is when I worked for the IT services. And I was sitting next to this girl and I watched as her MacBook basically died. Oh, no. And we sat there trying to get it working and we couldn't. So I said, okay, do you have your files and homework and everything backed up anywhere? Nope. It was gone. All her homework, everything she'd done, gone. Unless maybe she was able to go to a data recovery specialist and have them recover the hard drive. Maybe that happened if I didn't know. But... As far as we were aware, she'd lost everything. 
because she never backed up. So make sure you're backing your stuff up. Uh, at the very least, you can use like Google Backup and Sync or Dropbox and keep your main files in sync to the cloud. The nice thing with that is even if your computer blows up or files are deleted for some reason in the cloud, they'll keep them for a certain amount of time. With Dropbox, I think it's 30 days. And it was 30 days with Google. I think it might be longer now. I was trying to look this up and they don't really say anymore. They just say on their mm-hmm. homepage, we keep your files for a certain amount of time. So oh, good. we can recover them. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about them keeping your files for a certain amount of time. I don't know. Um, if you don't trust Google, you can at least do. I don't trust anyone. I Ron Swanson it. No, there I don't. There you go. That, well, I mean, if you want. That's wanted, a little hard. If you wanted the Ron Swanson. Well, I, I do remember Ron Swanson just throwing his computer in the trash. Yeah. Because of Facebook or something. You got to give up a lot of freedom to get that much security. So if you really cared about not having your data stored by another company, you could at the very least back your stuff up to a new hard drive every so often and then keep that hard drive at a bank lockbox yeah, or something. Don't, don't keep it next to your computer because then if your house burns down, yeah, like you burn down the hard drive and the computer so the backup didn't mean anything. A local backup, meaning local where you are, is more secure than no backup. But yeah. if anything it's, happens it's to where you live, it's gone. But it only guards against a certain tier of things that can happen. So. Exactly. So, yeah, and I think a lot of companies will do local backup and offsite backup as like a redundancy strategy, but at the very least have offsite. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was it. Um, I already talked about my hilarious two bank lockbox system for perfect security, but yes, that that's is, that's ridiculous. I will be setting that up that. later today. There you go. Yeah, I'm actually gonna, I'm doing a chain of like seven banks. The more banks you get in there, well, seven. It's like Horcruxes now. You're basically immortal. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't he just do that? He should have just, just, just put all the Horcruxes in like little bank deposit. They wouldn't just like a bunch of different Muggle banks, you know. They wouldn't have looked in Muggle Banks. That is Brilliant. true. I wonder if Harry Potter would have <laughs> had an easier or harder time breaking into Muggle. Actually, it would have been easier. They could operate. They just got to find them. You just got to know it's there. That is true. That's a lot of obscurity. They ignore that world entirely. That's true. Actually, it's pretty obvious that so like, much obscurity. Oh, it's in Gringotts. Yeah. Well, that's easy. Okay. But yeah, I guess if it was in it's in, it's bank, in U.S. In Salt bank. Lake City. Yeah. Somewhere it's in a credit union. Uh, like, why do you have a credit union? Just I like to up. support local. Yeah, you know, Dark Lord is a, he likes local stuff. The Dark Lord is not so bad actually. Yeah. Supports local businesses. That's fine. You it's know? a good idea. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, so what? What's like? What's like at least an easy first step, if not a full rundown? Because okay. this is a big, scary. The world's out to get you. Be the, overwhelmed, yeah. podcast. This this is big and scary. All right, so let me just give like a high level overview and the the first steps for each of these. Password security. At the very least, make sure you're not using the same password at multiple sites. Um, And make a list of the important sites like your online banking, your email, stuff like that. Go set a good secure password for those. Maybe it's something you know. Uh, There's an XKCD comic that said like a password like correct horse battery staple is actually pretty secure because it's really long. Now, I will point out correct horse battery staple specifically is a horrible password. Because, because the, everyone because knows know about that comic thing. now. You know, if you think it's too clever to be that thought thought out, then it's probably exactly clever enough to be found out. Yeah, but it could be haircut, boy band, hot rod, Andy Sandberg, and you remember that. But you know, that's a really long password. Yeah, so that could be pretty secure. So at least do that. A password manager, though, is probably the easiest and most secure thing to start doing. Um, put two factor authentication on your important accounts. At least your bank, at least your email, stuff like that. Um, make sure your computer's secure with antivirus and anti-malware software. Um, let's see here. The social engineering stuff is something to definitely keep in mind. I know calling your phone company and setting up a PIN is a bit more of a higher effort thing than changing your password, but it's still probably worth doing. Let's see here. Consider having a second email for your correspondence and a main one for your password resets and stuff. Set your phone to lock after a good amount of time and make sure the password isn't just a bunch of ones. I know some of you have a bunch of ones as your password. And monitor your credit cards and back up your files with Dropbox or Google Drive slash backup and sync. Yep. Yeah. So, and maybe we should just have like a breakdown in the show notes for this so people can look at it and maybe just have a little checklist of sorts. Yeah. So we'll put that That in the show notes. 
We'll put the links. There are several links to resources that we mentioned here. So we'll have all those in the show notes as well as timestamps for this podcast. If you want to jump around and go to a certain section you weren't clear on. I know this was a very technical podcast, but I wanted to get it done. I wanted it to be in the library so people can go and protect themselves with these uh, these tips here. So this is episode 187. You can find our show notes over at CIGpodcast.com slash 187. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, the link in the description down below, you can go click on it and find those links. Uh, and among those links, you will also find a link to help rate and review this podcast on iTunes slash Apple podcasts. That's a great way to support this show. It bumps our rankings up over there, which is the number one podcast platform. It's probably the number one way people that uh, people discover us. So it's a good thing to do if you want to support the show. Otherwise, as always, thanks so much for listening and we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.